Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. Many churches and traditions begin an Easter service with the pastor or the worship leader saying something like, He is risen. And the refrain from the congregation that is to be echoed back is, He is risen indeed. But this morning there is no congregation to echo back my statement. And yet, He is still risen. And He is risen indeed. And so whether we can gather together this morning or not, we are going to celebrate that fact. Now this is certainly going to be an Easter that we are going to remember probably for a very long time. The general refrain I seem to be hearing from people this week is a lamenting of the fact that we cannot get together. Some have said that the word sad describes what they are feeling. Or the general statement, it just doesn't feel like Easter. Gone are the large egg hunts sponsored by churches or communities, in all likelihood replaced by much smaller versions in immediate families. There are no new dresses or suits to wear this year, though perhaps you have splurged on some new pajamas. The parking lot and the pews that every pastor looks forward to are eerily empty and silent. My favorite Sunday of the year, reduced to you watching me on your television or computer screen. I've always said that this Sunday is my favorite because it is the one Sunday every year where attending church becomes a priority, much like it used to be on a weekly basis many years ago. A time when people slow down, enjoy a large family meal after church, and then rest and relax for the rest of the afternoon. If the weather cooperates, perhaps we sit outside or take a walk while talking to our neighbors. But even I have to admit that this year we have gone too far. Our slower pace of life is now the new normal, not just for Easter, but for every day. And how long this will last is simply not known to us. Some may argue that the restrictions in place by virtually every state has in essence canceled Easter this year. But I beg to differ. No government nor pandemic has the power to cancel Easter. Others might say, well, at least it has been largely redefined since all of the normal activities that we tend to associate with this particular weekend are either drastically changed or they are not taking place at all. But again, I will say, if this pandemic has redefined Easter for you, then your definition of Easter has always been wrong. It has never been primarily about the clothes or the chocolate, or even the church events that surround this Sunday. And perhaps one good thing that might come out of this is a refocusing of our own spiritual lives. So no, we are not going to cancel Easter. I don't have the power to do that either. 
we are not going to redefine Easter. Instead, we are going to celebrate it as always. Now, I've already read for you Matthew's account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I read that version because last week we read Matthew's version of the triumphal entry. But our main text today, the one I've chosen as our topic for this particular Easter, is somewhat different. In fact, it's a passage that I don't believe I've ever used for an Easter service. Since everything else has changed, I figured I might as well change from the standard and traditional text. So I want to invite you now to turn to Acts chapter 4, and we're going to read the first 12 verses as we think today about the faces of Easter. No, not the faces in the crowd, for there are none here. When I talk about the faces of Easter, you'll see what I mean in just a moment. Most of us have been complaining or bemoaning the fact that Easter just happens to fall in the middle of this pandemic. But what if instead we see that Easter is a needed reminder of how we are to face this pandemic, and indeed how we are to face just about everything we encounter in life? So look with me at Acts chapter 4, the first 12 verses, as we consider how Easter can help us face the multiple things that we are dealing with at this time. Acts chapter 4, verse 1, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has now become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now you will recognize this particular portion of Scripture as the early portion of the book of Acts, which means that the death and resurrection of Jesus is just a few weeks, probably a couple of months in the past. And the early church is now beginning to form. The they of verse 1 are Peter and John, who in the previous chapter, chapter 3, had healed a beggar at the gate of the temple. Perhaps you remember that. That was the famous healing 
where Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I give to you. So in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. It is this miracle recorded in chapter 3 that Peter and John are referencing in chapter 4, verse 9, while they are on trial. Now, of course, you may also notice a lot of similarity between what we've just read and what Jesus went through just before His death, especially if you read through those passion narratives this week in preparation for Easter Sunday. These two apostles have spent the night in prison, and now they are on trial before the same religious leaders who interrogated Jesus. They are experiencing the first persecution, but it certainly should not have taken them by surprise. After all, Jesus had told them multiple times in a prediction or what we might even call a promise that it sent, because He suffered, they would suffer likewise. Now, the presence of so many senior members of society here in this story indicate just how serious this situation was, at least from their standpoint. I won't take the time to introduce you to all of the players involved here. I actually did that a couple of months ago on Wednesday nights because we've been studying through the book of Acts, and so we laid out there for you who all of these people are. I will just say this morning that there is a group here, a group called the Sadducees, these men, too, were religious leaders, a second group, much like the Pharisees, though perhaps less known by us. They were still well known then. And one of the main differences between the Sadducees and the Pharisees is that the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, in any resurrection. They did not believe it was possible to live after death. Now, the Pharisees believed in the theory of the resurrection. That is, they taught the possibility of a resurrection, but not necessarily the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They believed it in theory. The Sadducees did not believe it at all. But what these apostles are teaching is the reality of the resurrection and the fact that Jesus Christ, whom they crucified, is now alive again. In fact, that's the crux of the matter here in chapter 4. These two men are not on trial because they had healed a notorious beggar. They had done that, but that is not the reason for their arrest. They are on trial because they are preaching and proclaiming the present reality of the resurrection. Jesus Christ is alive. Look again at verse 2. And they arrested them and put them in custody. Uh, that's verse 3. Verse 2, they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And that truth did not sit very well with the religious leaders. After all, they were the very ones who had ordered the arrest and orchestrated the death of Jesus. They now think, several months later, that all of this is behind them. Their authority and their power, which they believe have been challenged by Jesus, is now restored and all of this is over with. And yet, Peter and John have come saying that Jesus is alive because, verse 10, God had raised Him from the dead. Furthermore, if the power of the risen Christ has healed this man that is standing before them, that is a miracle that they cannot deny. Now, since all of this is true, it remains true today. 
Now, by saying that, I do not mean to imply that you too will be made well. I am not trying to say that a firm belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ will guarantee that you cannot get the virus or cancer or any any other thing. What I do mean is that the resurrection of Jesus is not just a nice theory to applaud. It is a life-changing reality that affects everything. Something we clearly see in these two men. Do you remember where Peter was a couple of months back, warming himself by the fire, denying to a servant girl that he even knew Jesus and doing this repeatedly? And now in Acts chapter 4, we see him standing before the most powerful men in Jerusalem, pointing his would-be finger at them in accusation, saying, you killed Jesus, but God has raised him from the dead. Now, we've been experiencing just how much change can occur in our lives over the course of just a few weeks. And Peter likewise knew that, not only personally, but Peter knew it spiritually. This Jesus who is crucified is now alive again, and that has enacted quite a dramatic change in his life just over these couple of months, all brought about because Jesus is alive. You see, they were able to face persecution knowing that the resurrection is a reality. And because of that, it led me to think, how are we to face the things that we're going through in this life in light of Easter? And so my first point is this. We can face aloneness because Jesus is alive. I initially thought of titling this sermon, Easter Alone. Therefore, talking about the fact that many of us will be in small groups at the very best this particular Easter. You may be in your home with four or five immediate family members, but you might also be literally alone. You may be living by yourself and nobody is there with you until you are watching this alone. And so I thought about titling it that, in recognition of the fact that from a human relationship standpoint, many of us are going to be isolated this particular Easter. But then I realized two things. Not only did that not fit where I wanted to go in the totality of this sermon, but it was simply not true. It is impossible for a believer to be alone at Easter. In fact, it is impossible for a believer to ever be alone as I hope to share with you in just a few moments. Now, that does not mean that you cannot feel alone. I am not saying that you cannot be lonely. Many of us are indeed wrestling during these times of social distancing and stay-at-home orders with what it means to not have human interaction with other people. I've talked to church members who have family in the hospitals, and in several cases they are in very serious condition. And yet their family is not allowed to come and visit them. And so they are struggling not only with the health crisis that they're going through, but the fact that they cannot be there in person with their loved ones. So this separation is adding to their stress. And some of them are even experiencing the thought that their loved one who is in a medical crisis does not understand why their loved ones can't be there. And so they too are feeling alone. 
even the staunchest of introverts doesn't want to be totally alone, especially in times of crisis. We, we want someone by our side to share in our pain, someone who knows us, someone who loves us, and someone who is by our side because of those truths. And that's exactly what every believer has because Jesus is alive. The last verse of Matthew's Gospel. Remember I read for you earlier, chapter 28, the story of the resurrection. After that, we hear Jesus talking to His disciples in Galilee and giving them what we call the Great Commission. But then at the very end of that, the very end of Matthew's Gospel, we hear Jesus say these words, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is the resurrected Jesus making that statement. That is the Jesus who has come back from the dead saying that He is going to be present with them, which if you think about it is an obvious statement. If Jesus is still in the grave, then He never makes that promise. And we indeed can be alone. Not just feel alone. But if Jesus is still in the grave, then we can very much be alone. But because Jesus is alive, we who are His followers are not alone. Not now and not ever. Because He promises to always be with us. So whether you are sitting with four or five family members watching this together, or whether you are by yourself this Easter morning, the truth is still the same. Easter means we can face aloneness because we are never alone. The second thing I want you to see is that Easter means we can face death. Now, I know we don't like to talk about death. We don't like to think about death. But in this pandemic, we have little choice. You are probably following the daily updates on the number of new cases how many people have this virus in Knox County? How many have it in Tennessee? How many have it in the United States or around the world? And along with these numbers, we are also getting daily reports of the number of fatalities. And we're wondering when these fatalities are going to spike and peak. We even get projections. Though those projections have varied mightily, they are seeking to tell us how many we think will ultimately die as this virus runs its course. And all of those numbers are scaring us, making us wonder if we or someone we know is going to contract the virus and become one of those statistics. In fact, we can actually combine these first two because facing death and facing death alone are two of the greatest fears of people. We don't want to face death, and if we do, we certainly don't want to do it by ourselves. And again, that is what many people are doing, especially those who do have the virus. They cannot have others around them for fear that they might give it to them, and they are facing the prospect of death alone. In fact, even funerals are now affected. We cannot have visitations anymore where hundreds of family and friends file by to grieve with you. 
Even in those circumstances, we are limited to eight to ten of our closest friends. In fact, I was talking to a lady this week who told me that she had already told her family who those eight to ten are. She had told them who to invite to her funeral if she happens to get this virus and die. I guess she's planning ahead. The truth, of course, is that this pandemic, or no pandemic at all, regardless of whether we get through this or not, all of us are going to face death. Unless, of course, Christ returns before our time comes. This is nothing new, but we are simply having to face it. Something we've chosen to ignore through the years is, in fact, now right before our eyes. The daily news offers us the opportunity, if you want to call it that, so that now old and young alike are confronted regularly with the prospect of death. And this is the very thing that Easter answers for us. Indeed, it answers for us in dramatic fashion. Death did not have the final answer over Jesus, which is what these religious leaders were so upset about. And the Bible says that the resurrection of Jesus Christ paves the way for our own resurrection. It calls His resurrection the first fruits. That's an agricultural metaphor, which means that when you see that the first fruits of the harvest are good, you can know that the rest of the harvest is going to come along just fine behind it. Or in our day and age, it's, it's sort of like earnest money or a deposit. You put down earnest money for a purchase, promising, guaranteeing, that you intend to pay the rest of the sum. So you see, what we sometimes fail to realize when it comes to Easter is that Easter is not just a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, though that rightly does take center stage. But we also need to be, be reminded that as we celebrate the fact of His resurrection, one of the results of that is the promise of our own. That's why when we stand by a graveside, we can do so with hope. That is why when I conduct a funeral service, I talk about how we can rejoice even in the midst of our grief. And how is that possible? Well, let me take you to Paul's famous resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, and the very last few verses of that chapter where Paul says, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting, of death of, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. At the end of life, it certainly appears that death wins. Our mind and our body fights mightily against it, but eventually to no avail. But death does not win, because Christ is alive. Because He had victory over death, we will also. And again, I reference a verse from Paul where he said of his own life, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That doesn't sound like a defeat at all, does it? Nor does it sound like Paul was afraid to die. In fact, it appears to be the exact opposite. That he, in some sense, welcomed it. 
though of course he also desired to remain so that he could continue to minister to those who needed him. So I am not trying to say this morning that we ought to be giddy about the prospect of death, but neither should we be afraid of it. Because we can face death because Jesus already did. And because Jesus won the victory over death, those of us who put our faith and trust in Him, though we die, yet shall we live. And what a promise that is, not just for Easter morning, but for every morning. Well, the third thing I want you to think about today is not only can we face death, but we can also face life. You see, our faith is not something that merely helps us get into heaven when we die. It is a faith that guides us and strengthens us for the entire journey. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just a hope for the future. It is a strength for today. And that is why Jesus said that He gives us both eternal life and abundant life. Eternal life in the future, abundant life today. A favorite hymn of many, especially on Easter for many years now, has been won by the Gaithers entitled, Because He Lives. Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Because He Lives, All Fear Is Gone. Because I Know He Holds the Future. And therefore, life is worth the living just because He lives. Now, frankly, we've probably sung that song on various Easter Sunday mornings rather superficially. When the stock markets were at their height and we gathered, that's pretty easy to sing. When we've got all of our new clothes and when we're anxious and excited about all the events of Easter, it's, it's fairly easy to stand up with a congregation full of people and say, because He lives, I can face tomorrow. But today we are unable to gather. But I'm wondering if we were able to gather today, with all that's going on around us, could we really sing that with the confidence that seemingly we've sung that with in years past? If you're comfortable with it, could you right there in your living room sing that song, and say with confidence, because He lives, I can face tomorrow. You see, one of the major issues with all of this pandemic is the uncertainty. When will it be over? When will the cycle peak? When will life get back to normal? We all want to know the answers to these questions, and many are indeed speculating and predicting when these things will be. But the truth is, we simply don't know. But because Jesus is alive, we know the One who does know. We know the One who holds our future, and therefore, life is worth living, regardless of what we're going through, because Jesus is alive. Which frankly goes all the way back to the video I talked about a couple of weeks ago, where I said we are being confronted now 
with the very things that we've been taught through the years, the things that we have sung, and now we're put in a position where we have to see whether or not we're going to put those into practice. Is Jesus indeed the priority of our lives? Is He the most important thing? Does He have such a place in our hearts and lives that everything else pales in comparison? We are being faced with those questions now. Are we content with Jesus and Jesus alone? Or are we discovering that perhaps our lives were filled with many idols? If we had the time this morning to move forward in the book of Acts, you would discover that the believers, the early church, are often threatened. Some of them are imprisoned and beaten. Ultimately, many of them are even killed. And yet they do not waver in their faith. In fact, we can actually say the opposite. Their faith is strengthened throughout it. In fact, in some of the stories, we find them rejoicing at the fact that they are persecuted. At other times, we hear them singing praises to God in the midst of trials. And I wonder if that's the way we're reacting to the trials we're in. I know we're not being persecuted for our faith. I'm not trying to correlate those two things. I'm simply saying they faced a tough life and they did it with joy and praise. We are now facing tough times and I'm wondering if we're doing that in the same manner. Are we facing the uncertainties of life filled with fear and anxiety? Or can we face life with whatever the future holds, with faith, because Christ is alive. That's why the best thing we can do for people is exactly what the apostles were doing. What does it say there in our text? They kept teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean by that that we shouldn't do other things. In fact, we talked about that last week. But ultimately, the way to help people cope, the way to help people manage and thrive in life, is to help them to see that Jesus is alive and what that means for their own life. In fact, that's actually one of the benefits that have already come out of this pandemic. Though it wasn't our desire, the truth is there are statistics that tell us that more people are hearing the gospel by way of video sermons than we're ever in church to start with. Now, I'm not saying that we ought to keep doing this. I am anxious for the day, as I hope you are, when we can put this behind us and gather again with excitement in person. So I'm not saying we ought to keep doing it this way, or that you ought to get so accustomed to church in your living room that you're going to keep doing that. I'm simply saying that this pandemic has not stopped the gospel. No pandemic can. The proclamation is still going out that Jesus is alive. And that's another reason why Easter is still Easter. The resurrected Lord is still alive, and that proclamation is still going forth. And because the message is still being proclaimed, there still needs to be a response to that message. Not a virtual response, but a real one. And only those who respond correctly to the message of Easter 
are ready for my fourth statement. And that is we can face eternity. We see two very different responses in our text. The first comes in verse 2. Some were greatly annoyed at the preaching of a resurrected Christ. Now, chances are that doesn't describe you. I doubt you're greatly annoyed that I'm proclaiming that Jesus is alive on Easter Sunday. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't be watching this video or certainly wouldn't have stayed with this sermon as long as you have. But it does describe many today who don't believe in anything that is supernatural, and therefore they deny the resurrection as well. But while you may not be greatly annoyed at what is being taught, you might be indifferent toward it. Perhaps only watching this Easter because you're in someone's home and they are greatly encouraging you to watch. Or maybe you're watching because you're just plain bored. There's nothing better to do this morning. You've heard the story time and time again, and while you do not outright deny the possibility of it being true, it simply doesn't move you very much either. It's just an event. An event that happened a long time ago, and you've got more important things on your mind and cluttering your life. But what I try to get across, not just this Easter, but really every Easter, is that the resurrected Christ is not just a historical fact from years ago. Though it is that, it is much more than that. Because if Jesus really is alive, and we believe He is, it changes everything. And it must change you if you really believe it. And so we move to the second and correct response. We find that in verse 4. Look at that verse again. But many of those who had heard the word, believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000. In spite of the persecution that was just beginning, the message was going forward and people were responding. The gospel was not hindered then by persecution. It will not be hindered now by temporarily shutting down churches. Instead, the death of Christ on Calvary, which they thought had put a stop to His power and authority, had actually done the opposite. It had established Jesus as the very heart and source of life and eternity. You see, if Calvary is all there is, if there is no resurrection after the cross, then the cross is just a miscarriage of justice and Jesus an innocent martyr. Without the resurrection... His body remains somewhere in Israel. And without His resurrection, your body will remain wherever it is your family intends to bury you. Without the resurrection, there is no salvation. Without the resurrection, our faith is a myth. We are all still separated from God and bound by our sin. But with the resurrection, there is the offer and the opportunity of salvation. Verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That is what we celebrate today, that we can face eternity when we respond by faith and receive the salvation that is only to be found in Christ. 
And therein lies another complaint, another criticism of so many today. Christianity, they say, is narrow-minded and exclusive. It's not very tolerant, not tolerant at all, of other religions or paths to God. I mean, as long as people are spiritual and they make an effort, shouldn't that be enough? Well, you see, the problem is that I don't make the rules, and neither do you. As much as we might want to open the door to other options, it is not for us to decide. In fact, it's not really that Christianity is exclusive. It is Christ who is exclusive. After all, He is the only one who was sinless. He's the only one who died in the place of sinners and then rose again from the dead. Now, if there are others like Him, if there are others who have lived a sinless life and died a substitutionary death and rose victorious over sin and death, well, then I suppose there could be some other ways. But there are no others because Christianity is unique. Because Christ is unique. And therefore, the correct response, the only response that prepares you or me to face eternity is to trust and believe and thus find salvation in the only one in whom it is available. Apart from Christ, no one is ready to face eternity. But with Christ, anyone can be ready. So before you stop this video and start lunch or go out for your egg hunt or whatever you plan to do this afternoon, I want you to consider your response to Easter. With a risen Christ, you can face aloneness, death, life, and yes, even eternity. But without Him... Some of that becomes much harder to do, and some of it is downright impossible. You cannot face eternity without Christ. Now, I realize that you cannot respond as we normally ask you to do. You cannot get up from where you are and walk down front and talk to me or one of the other ministers, but that does not mean that you cannot respond right there in your living room or your bedroom or your home office. Will you trust Him today and find salvation through the death and resurrection of Christ? Or if you've already done that, will you continue to trust Him during the uncertainties of today and the future, learning to face all of it with the risen Christ who gives us strength and becomes our priority? This is indeed a strange and unique Easter with an awful lot of changes going on around us. And yet the heart of Easter remains the same. Jesus is alive, which means you can be saved through Him and be with Him forever. Let me pray. Father, we thank You again for the very fact that we are gathering this morning, though separate yet together, we are gathered to celebrate a risen Savior. And because He lives, 
We can face aloneness. We can face death. We can face life. And by your grace and mercy, we can face eternity. And so we are grateful today that the tomb is empty, that life has meaning, and that eternity is promised. And again, we pray this in the name of our risen and reigning Lord, Jesus Christ, our Messiah. Amen and amen. Thank you again for joining us this morning. We look forward again with much anticipation to the day that we can be together in person. Until then, we'll continue with this method.